0: Hey, thanks for listening to Cornerstone Church. You can find us on the web at akcornerstone.org. And we want you to know, it's our prayer that the Holy Spirit will use this message to either save you through the good news about Jesus Christ, grow you into the likeness of Jesus, or send you to proclaim Jesus in the Spirit's power. And would you open up to the 8th chapter of Romans, please? As you turn there, Quick regroup on where we're at. 8th chapter of Romans. Romans 8, one. Paul made a statement that for those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation. And down through the chapter, he begins to validate that in a variety of ways. In five different sections. And he comes to the last section here of Romans chapter 8. And he makes some Pretty profound statements through a series of questions to prove the overarching theme of the chapter that for those who are in Christ, there is not, cannot ever be any condemnation. And so, what he does is in verse, in the beginning of this last section, in verse 31, he takes us to the throne of heaven. And he guides us in word there and he points to the throne and he reveals or highlights God as the sovereign conquering one over all and he says, if God is for us, who can be against us? And his logic is, if that's true and everything that he has said previous proves that it's true, then there is no way anyone can come against the one who sits on heaven's throne. Then in verse 32, he takes us to heaven's treasure vault. And he points to God and he says, God is the indescribable lavish giver. And he says it like this, that if God gave you his son, the most indescribable gift, incalculable gift. How is He not going to, with Him, give you all things? Then what He does in verse 33 is He takes us into heaven's courtroom as He continues this series of questions. And there in heaven's courtroom, well, let's watch what He does. Romans eight thirty-three. I'll read 33 and 34. Both of them include somewhat the same idea. Both of them are in legal language. Verse 33, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is, indeed is interceding for us. So what Paul does here is that he is sketching a picture of us in these two verses. And again, the picture that he is sketching is one of a legal nature. Let me just highlight that for you. He pictures an accuser bringing a charge against someone. The concept here is of justice being highlighted because he talks about God justifying The word condemned brings to mind a convicted criminal. You see, the language here is about a legal issue, a legal proceeding. What he is painting with his terminology is a courtroom, specifically the highest courtroom in the universe, the court of heaven. And let's see what answer emerges there as he ushers us into heaven's courtroom and says, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. What I want to do is I want you to notice very carefully a couple of words here. And the concept. Paul is asking or presenting the idea, asking whether or not it is possible for anyone to bring into the Supreme Court of Heaven an indictment or an accusation against one of God's sons or daughters. Now, let me say that again in a different way, showing you what he's not saying to make it really clear what he is saying. He is not asking the question, can anyone come into God's throne room in heaven and bring a charge against a son or a daughter that ends up in a condemning Conviction, it's not what he's asking. That's taking the question way too far. What he's asking is, can anyone come into God's throne room and even bring the accusation against a son or a daughter of God? Listen to it again. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? So the question is this. If someone comes to God to his throne room and tries to bring an accusation against a son or a daughter of his, will God even hear the case? Will he allow it into his courtroom and allow the proceedings to continue as he sits as judge over the proceedings? That's what Paul is asking here. Can they even bring the charge? So in order to answer that, we need to look closely at two key words. And the two key words are elect and justifies. So let's zero in fairly quickly here on those two words, elect and justifies. First, God's elect. What this word points to, referring to the sons and daughters of God, what this word points to is who you are. Who you are. It's about identity. Paul specifically chooses the word elect here because it is a powerful complement to his argument. What is his argument? What is the proposition that he is proving in this chapter? It is that it is impossible for any son or a daughter of God having been forgiven by God to enter into a state of condemnation before God again. So how does the term elect so powerfully prove that? Again, let me tell you what it doesn't say to help zero in on the profound nature of what it does say. He doesn't ask the question, who shall bring any charge against those who have accepted Christ as their Savior? That's a different statement. I'm not saying that the elect are not also those who accept Christ as their Savior, but Paul specifically used the terminology elect here. So how does that feed into the power and the thrust of Paul's argument? Well, who is the one who elects? Somebody in here must know that. God elects. God elects. Because they are God's elect. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? We covered that term uh, several weeks ago or a few months ago in depth, so I'm not going to go into that. I'm just going to state it again in a few sentences. The elect of God, it means this in Scripture, consistently, repetitively, this in Scripture, they are those that God has chosen. And that they are those that God has in a very Peculiar way set his love upon. They are those that God has decided, chosen to make them his own possession and lavish them with his eternal love. So Paul is asking the question. Who can bring into God's high court of heaven any charge against those that God has chosen to make His own and lavish His eternal love upon? First word, elect. Let's go to the second word, justify. It's God who justifies. Who justifies? It's God. Who elects? It's God. Who's the actor? Who's the one that's accomplishing both? God. What does the word justifies mean? Again, remember the language. Remember the context, the venue. We are in the high court of heaven. We are before the tribunal of the universe. This is the supreme court of all supreme courts. The judge behind the desk is God Himself. And it says, in answer to the question, who shall bring any charge against God's elect, Paul's answer to that question Two, is it possible for anyone to bring a charge into God's high courtroom against a son or a daughter of His that He has chosen to make His own and set His eternal love upon? Is it possible? And His answer is, it's God who justifies. It's God who justifies. So how does that answer fit the question? Well, let's... Look closely at what the word again justifies means. Now, it encompasses, it's really a comprehensive idea, but we might, if we're not careful, limit it to too small of an understanding. For example, does it mean that God pardons or forgives? Does the word justify simply mean that God pardons those who are guilty or God forgives those who have sinned? You see, those words imply something. They imply guilt that is not punished, right? A pardon or forgiveness implies guilt that the punishment is never carried out upon. Justification is a bigger word than that. Let's go to another potential concept. How about acquittal? That's a legal word. Acquittal. That means that in a legal proceeding, that the one that is being prosecuted is found by the court to be not guilty of breaking the law. That's acquittal not guilty. Justification includes that concept, but it is far bigger than that concept. So what does the term justification mean? We could reach clear back to Romans chapter 3 for this, but here's what it means. It means when God justifies, it means this, that He declares He makes a declaration over an individual's life. And what declaration does He make? He makes this declaration. The person in question has not ever sinned and they are perfectly righteous. It's a two-sided reality. It means that when God declares a person just or justifies them, that He views them as if they had never broken even one of His laws in action, in thoughts, in motives of the heart, that they are absolutely free from being on the wrong side of the law, having not only not transgressed a law, but even greater still, here's the shocking reality that they have perfectly done everything the law has said to do. That's what it means when God justifies. Now, how can God do that? How can a just God do that? We've covered this before. Let me just say it very quickly in a sentence or two, He can do it and still be just because Jesus Christ paid the penalty for the sin, satisfied the full demands of the law of God that was broken so that God can be both just and the justifier. How is He just? Because... Jesus Christ has paid for the sin so that God doesn't have to punish it in us. How can He be the justifier? Because God is the one that gave Jesus Christ to pay for the sin, to satisfy His holy demands so that God is both the one who is just in calling us sinless and perfect and also the justifier by giving His Son to fully pay the demands of the law so that what happened on the cross is that He imputed our sin to Jesus Christ so that Jesus Christ paid its penalty and when we put our faith in Christ He imputed Christ's righteousness to us so that what we are is justified by God so that God declares I view this person justly view them as having never committed a sin and having always fulfilled every requirement of my commands. So that's the setting, the high court of heaven, the tribunal of God, the omnipotent one on the throne and the two key words are election and justify and they mean election, the the one that God has Chosen to make his very own possession and lavish his eternal love upon and justification. That means God views us as if we have never committed a sin and we have always been perfectly righteous, just as righteous as his holy Son. So the question then comes Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God. Who justifies. Do you see the force of the argument here? It is an absolute impossibility. Here's the scene. God is sitting on His throne. Here comes an accuser up to the throne of God in the high court of heaven. And there He brings an accusation against a son or a daughter of God one God has made His very own from eternity past Chosen to make His own. Chosen to lavish His eternal love on. And God sees that person as perfectly righteous as His very own Son, Jesus Christ. And somebody makes an accusation against them, And the question is, is God going to try that case in His court? No, He's not going to try that case in His court. He's going to boot it right out of court. It's the same thing that God has been doing with the previous two questions. He's been saying, It's a ridiculous idea. If God is for us, who could stand up against God? If God gave us Jesus everything, is He not going to also give us the scraps? And if God has elected us and sees us as holy as His very Son, Every one of his sons or daughters, is he going to let anyone come into his high court and bring the charge and hear the case toward a conviction of them? And the answer in all three of those questions, 31, verse 31, 32, and 33, is the question is ridiculous. He laughs it out of court. He laughs it out of court. Now, the last couple of minutes here. Let me make an application. Again, the two aspects of the verse are accusation and justification. Accusation, who shall bring any charge against God's elect, and justification. It is God who justifies. So let's make an application to both of those ideas. First of all, accusation. How are we to respond to accusation? I'm not talking about in the high court of heaven. I'm talking about on the dusty roads of earth. How are we to respond to accusation? First of all, I want to talk to the son or the daughter of God. How are you, if you're a child of God, are you to respond to accusation? Let me give you two ways that I believe are biblical ways. In a general statement, what we need to do, and by the way, if you haven't figured this out yet, but if you've drawn breath more than a few days, you probably have figured this out as a son or a daughter of God, you're going to be accused. Accusations are going to be brought. They're going to be brought from a variety of individuals throughout your life and they're certainly going to come in full force from the enemy on a regular basis because he's called the accuser of the brethren. That's what he does. He'll accuse you directly. At times what he wants to do is he he wants to convince you of your own condemnation and get get you to embrace it on your own. Or He puts people around your life that He wants to influence to drop little seeds of condemnation into your life that you carry around in bondage for the rest of your life. So, accusations are coming. The question is, how as sons or daughters of God do we respond to them? Well, what we need to do is I believe we need to take the accusations that come against us and we need to humbly bring them before God transparently and very humbly bring them before God and we need to do one of two things with them as we examine them under the direction of God and His Word, the Holy Spirit leading us and giving insight into our lives. So first of all, as we view that accusation and we see that it is nothing but an attempt toward condemnation, we need to reject it. We need to reject it. Why? Because those who are sons and daughters of God, there is no condemnation. The biblical thing is to reject it. And the way that you reject an accusation that comes against you that is not grounded in reality is that you apply to that lie the what? The truth. What defeats a lie? The truth defeats a lie. And so you apply truth to the lie. Let's just give a couple of examples of the lies that are leveled against us on a regular basis, maybe have been leveled against you? Has the enemy ever spoken into your life, maybe your kid's life, that you're not good enough, that you're not smart enough, that you're never going to really amount to anything? Folks, that's condemnation. That's condemnation. That has no goal at your benefit. That has a goal of your defeat and discouragement. And so, that's a lie. That's a lie. You bring that before God humbly and transparently, and as you examine the nature of that applic- a- accusation, if you come to the reality, the recognition that that is Simple, pure condemnation. You reject it and you take it and you shine upon it the light of the truth of God which says you are already something. You're a son or a daughter of God. You're immortal. You are so significant that you are immortal. and You're actually going to become like Jesus Christ when He returns and you see Him as He is. You want to hang your hat on something? Hang it on that. Don't walk around in the defeat of a lie. Don't let your kids walk around in the defeat of a lie. Their whole life under the bondage. Dragging that thing year after year because someone at a critical moment in their life lied to them about who they were we got to be aggressive against condemnation. I don't mean lash out at the individual that was used to condemn you. No, I mean you get before God humbly and when you see it as condemnation for what it is, then you get aggressive against that lie. You fight the spiritual battle against that lie and you assault it with the arsenal of truth in the Word of God that says to you who you are as a son or a daughter of God. Amen? Do you understand that? Oh, we need to do that. Parents, parents, we need to do that for our kids. They are are just being assaulted with lies that are crushing their spirit day in and day out. I promise you, the enemy is trying to do that with your kids. He is trying to feed them lies that they are going to buy into and embrace and carry with them that's going to be like a millstone tied around their neck, dragging around for the rest of their life. And that has to be confronted with the arsenal of the truth of the word of God to defeat the lie. Dads, you have such a great responsibility there. Make sure that in the home that you lead, the marriage that you lead, and the home that you lead, that the enemy is not allowed to do that. But that there's a steady diet of light that defeats darkness, truth that defeats lies. Secondly, As we bring that humbly before God. Here's what could happen. Even if the intent was malicious, ask God if there is some truth behind it that He wants you to see about yourself that you have not seen. And if God reveals some areas of your life through accusation that He shows you you need to improve, you need to repent of some things, then that's what you need to do. If it's conviction, repent. If it's condemnation, reject it. If it's conviction from the Spirit of God, determine what that is and repent of it. Because God, Romans 8.28, He's able to take all things and work them for your good. Even someone that is seeking, even the enemy who might be trying to bring an accusation to defeat you, if you will humbly take it before God, He might use that as the very thing that shows you something about yourself you didn't know. You know, God's been doing that kind of stuff from ages past. Right? I mean, the very... Attack against his holy son. He used to do what? He used to provide your atonement, right? God's good at doing that. He's good at taking the brutal things and making them incredible things. If we'll be humbly before him and listen to what he has to say and reject the condemnation and apply truth and repent of the conviction and walk in the truth. What about for those here that have not accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior? how are you to respond to the idea that one day there is a day in court coming? One day there is a day in court at the high tribunal of God coming. How are you to respond to that? Well, that should produce great concern in your life it should produce guilt and fear because it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of God. But it's not meant to defeat you. It's meant to bring you to the good news. 2 Corinthians 6, 2 In a This is God speaking. In a favorable time, I listen to you. And in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Listen. You're not before the high tribunal yet. If you have not accepted Christ as your Savior, you're still right here in the opportunity of grace. And right here today, you could have entered in here on the wrong side of the law of God, but you don't have to leave here on the wrong side of the law of God. You can leave here as a son or a daughter of God so that the law against you is ended forever so that God looks at you through Jesus Christ as if you have perfectly not sinned and perfectly obeyed. That can happen if you put your faith in Jesus and Jesus alone today. That's a truth available for you. Today is the day of salvation. Secondly, how are we to respond to justification? Talked about how to respond to accusation. For the believer and the unbeliever, how are we to respond to justification? This is to the believer. First of all, what you and I should do as sons or daughters of God that have received that kind of indescribable grace, we should pursue the giver of grace. We should pursue the giver of grace. We should be so overwhelmed at what He has done for us, the incomprehensible reality of the gift that He has given and the degree to which He pursued us and the lavished love that He poured out upon us even to the very death of His co-equal, co-eternal, holy Son so that we... Pursue the one who pursued us to the cross and the tomb. And then secondly, we should not only pursue the giver of grace, we should be givers of grace. Meaning, it is not our job to pass judgment to be judgmental. That's the job of God. Our job is to be communicators of His grace, rivers of His grace, not reservoirs of His grace, but in our own brokenness As he has poured his grace into us that out of our brokenness it flows out of us to others. The only right response to being a son or a daughter of God lavished with the grace of God is to pursue the grace giver and to be a grace giver. Would you please stand? Father, I just, I say, have your way now, Lord. As your word has been declared, to the best of my understanding, right now I'm asking that you would, through the miracle of the gift of preaching, do with it what you desire and accomplish goals for which you sent it forth. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. If you want to come to the altars as we sing the song here, you can do that, or there'll be an elder over here to my right. If you would like to be prayed for, you have a need this morning, you can come over there, and an elder will meet you there and pray for you. Let's sing.